God, we love you, and we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for a chance just to gather as people, as friends, as strangers, uh, but all of us coming underneath uh, your care, Lord, and underneath your will and your love for us, God. And Lord, we thank you that we see the greatest picture of your love, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus. And Lord, today... I pray that as we come to your word and as we reflect and think on and, and prayerfully consider, Lord, that we would marvel just at the reality of the incarnation. Lord, where you came, you took on flesh, you came into our need, you met us where we were so that we could be saved, so that we could know hope, so that we could know the purpose and that which we were created for. So we give you these next few moments, God, through the midst of just all that is today and all that is this season, let our hearts and minds be still now to hear from you. Lord, we thank you that your word does not return void, so we give all to you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been in what we call the Advent season. You saw us light a candle earlier, and we the whole Advent season is about the anticipation of the coming Messiah. And so each, each worship gathering that we have, we light a candle thinking through what it, would, what it would have been like to be the people of promise, the people of Israel that were awaiting the promised Messiah. And as, the, and as they saw, and as we get closer to that day, that anticipation growing, and we, we light the candles just, for, just as a symbol of the, just as the candles add light into the room, is, is again, the, the visual representation of the fact that we are coming to the day that we celebrate the entry of life and light into our world in Jesus Christ. So, so we've been working through that. This year, we've been focusing on what we've been calling Messiah songs. They were songs that different people throughout the New Testament uh, sang in response to the news of of the promised Messiah, whether it was that he was coming or whether it was that he has come. And so first we looked at, at Mary's song that she sang after seeing her Aunt Elizabeth and the promises that were made. And she had been given a promise through Gideon. And so, so she was in awe of the promise that was made and was seeking out to understand and to trust. And then she saw that the promise was kept. And then we also saw that there was a promise that will still be kept when all things are restored. And then we looked at Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And we saw in him the work of preparing the way and for the Messiah, uh, you know, both in the world and personally in us. And with that, we saw that the work of that, the work to preparing and, and to finding peace is to personally repent and believe that Jesus is Lord. And then after that, participating and lovingly and boldly calling the world to repentance and belief that Jesus is Lord. And then we came to the angels in the fields with the shepherds, and they said, fear not, for all that is broken can be mended now. For all that was undone is, re is, is made right because Jesus is here. And they proclaimed, and we saw that we need to hear the proclamation and then believe the proclamation and then continue just as before making the proclamation. And so we see this receiving of a blessing and then a, a call to purpose over and over again. Today's no different. Today... Is, is technically our Christmas Day gathering. We're not gathering tomorrow, so we're going ahead and going for it today, okay? So today, as, we, as you've already heard from, uh, from Neil and Haley, we are looking at the reality that salvation has arrived, that Jesus has arrived. And today, we're going to do this by looking at our last Messiah song. That's the, song. that's the song of Simeon that we find in Luke 2. So go ahead and turn to Luke 2 if you could, and we'll start in verse 22 in just a moment. 
You can also use the YouVersion Bible app. Um, it's a kind of the common Bible app, and you can go there, search for live events. You'll find uh, you'll find a Bridge Montrose event there, and it's got today's text as well as some questions for reflection and a few other things that might be helpful. But Luke 2, we'll start in 22 in just a minute, but today in Simeon's song, as we look at his response of worship, his response of blessing God as he is confronted with the reality that salvation has come in Jesus, I pray that we all see and understand why Christmas matters. We're here. We're here because we know there's something, there's a reason, there's something special that it matters. We're here. And in that, we want to see why the incarnation of Jesus matters. So the season of Advent, like I said, is all about the anticipation of the coming Messiah, remembering and celebrating. We all know anticipation. There's good and there's bad. There's the anticipation that has a sense of excitement. There's the anticipation that has a sense of dread. We, there's all kinds of it. It's, it's from the mundane is when we're waiting for water to boil, which apparently if you're watching a pot, something happens and it never boils. I don't know. Okay, just making sure you're paying attention. It's good. There's the fear of losing your job when the economy is bad. There's the time leading up to a new job, the time of excitement, and maybe with some intrepidation. There's the long-awaited vacation and the lead-up to it. There's the wedding day when you're engaged. It just builds and builds. There's the nine months of being pregnant waiting for that special little baby, which we have many of. And, uh, all senses of anticipation, some good, some bad, some with dread, some with excitement. All these have a sense of anticipation, some greater than others. The fearful anticipation comes from the possibility of things going from better to worse. The joyful anticipation comes from the possibility of things going from bad to good or worse to better. So we know that the greater sense of payoff in, in our anticipation it comes, it's directly connected to the extremity of the before and after, to the desperation to the elation, or from the, or from the elation to the desperation. Simeon, as we'll see in a second, has one of the most magnificent responses of worship as a result of his realized anticipation. So before we get to Jesus' arrival, let's look at Simeon's situation to understand the contrast. We'll start here in Luke 2. We're going to read 22 through 27. It says this. It'll be on the screen, or you can look along in your Bibles. It says, And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. We'll complete that thought in just a minute. So there's a lot here to teach through, but we're going to focus just on a couple of things. And, and, and to look at what was Simeon's situation, what was his, his sense of anticipation? What was he hoping would be resolved? In verse 25, we see this phrase that says, The consolation of Israel. 
And just for some quick background to make sure we all understand, Israel, the people of Israel, are God's chosen people who have been outcast and subjugated to Roman rule. They were the people of promise, the people that God made a promise to, as well as said that he would bless the entire world through. So his promise would also flow through them. But their present experience was not one of promise. They were under the rule of the Romans. They were outcasts. They were, they were forced to live in ways that were not true to who they were. They are a nation of priests, God's holy people. But they're not free. They haven't heard from God in 400 years. Would that shake your faith? I think it would. I have a hard time with a week. They haven't heard from him for 400 years. They've been waiting for their restoration. They've been expecting an earthly deliverer as they have experienced time and time before to come and finally set them in their right place over their place. Simeon, you heard, was given this promise that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel. He's old. He's got to think every day. Like, man, running out of time, God. Really, you better get on, you know, you better do this. Every passing day, he has to wonder when and where if it will ever come true. The consolation of Israel was the promise that one day they would be restored. We live in this same reality. We live in a sense of waiting. The whole world waits for restoration. It is yearning, it is groaning. You can feel it, breathe in and breathe out with that need, with that sense of when, when will all this be made right again? There are none that, that, that don't feel that there has to be something more, that there is something wrong. We look around the world, we look around us, we see so much injustice, we see pain, we feel it, we experience it ourselves. We look at ourselves and, and personally we find insecurity and fear. We've cried out the same as, as David and Job and Moses when they cried out, How long, O Lord? With Habakkuk, how long, O Lord? How long will you let this go on? We've all, we've cried it out, we've heard it cried out, we've felt it, we've thought it. We're tired of the tears, the pain, the death, the silence. We're tired of the oppression of not being able to, to live out in freedom. So we can identify with Simeon. And I want us to. In fact, before we go any further, let me just pray for us just a moment. Let us pray for just a moment that we would understand our need. Because again, the payoff of the anticipation comes in the extremity of the before and the after. So if we truly want to know the joy, let's truly pray that God can remind us of our need. So let me pray for us. So, God, we simply pray. I pray for each one of us, God. Reveal our great need for you. Lord, reveal, Lord, your heart for your creation. Lord, the way that you created it to be, the way you created us to be, and, Lord, the effects of sin. Lord, that death entered, pain entered, sickness entered. Lord, that every relationship was broken and marred. Lord, our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with creation. And Lord, I just pray that right now, just in, in your loving tenderness, but also in your powerful truth, Lord, that in our hearts and minds, God, Lord, that we would know our need.
we would be reminded so that our sense of anticipation would be right. So God, as we are, stir our hearts. Show us, God. Again, as a loving parent corrects, as a loving parent teaches, but that's all I'm asking. And as a just God demands, in Jesus' name, amen. So that's our, our, our great need. Our great need leaves us with great anticipation. Simeon, when, when he sees Jesus, he's, he blesses God upon seeing him. And then later he blesses Mary and Joseph. And so he's been waiting, he's been waiting, and then prompted by the Holy Spirit, he went to the temple, and then Mary and Jesus walk in, which don't, don't, don't miss how crazy and awesome that is. Like, just first the Spirit tells him, then the Spirit says, hey, go to the temple today. And he's hanging out in the temple, and then Mary and, Jesus, Mary and Joseph and Jesus walk in, the Holy Spirit speaks to him again, and he takes up the baby. And, he, and, and alas, he knows that this is the promised one. And he offers this blessing to God. So we're going to look here. It's in uh, 28 through 32. Read this with me. It says, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all light for revelation to the, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So here, here is the glorious truth of Christmas. Here is why we're all here today. We are here for this glorious truth. This is what we call the incarnation of Jesus. Maybe that word's familiar, maybe, maybe it's not, but it's the truth that God took on flesh and came to us. He descended down, he humbled himself. He stepped out of heaven and he came in. Why? To, to, to meet our need. He entered into our need. Simeon was most likely, like I said earlier, expecting an earthly nationalistic deliverer. But we see here that the Holy Spirit has opened his heart and his mind to the fullness of God's salvation. Here we see the utter completeness of God's work and that it is revealed to Simeon that because of Jesus, the saving work, the setting of all things right is not just for the people of Israel, but is for all peoples. It says it right there in verse 31 that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And just to make sure you're on the line, the Greek word for all, break it down, it means all. Like, it's just total, all. Like you, you, There's no trickiness to it. It's just all. And then the revelation to the Gentile, and you got to see at this time, there's only two kinds of people, especially in this context. There's the people of Israel, and everyone else is considered a Gentile. And so Simeon has realized that in God's great heart for his creation, he didn't come just to deliver a select few, but he came to offer salvation for all. For all, for, for the outcast, for the, for, for the one who has been neglected, for the one who is hurting, and for the people. I mean, just all people. So we see that it's a revelation to the Gentile and for the glory of the people of Israel. And here is the beautiful truth. Jesus didn't just come to show us the way, to show us the way in which to live, to show us the way in which to measure up. He came to be the way. He didn't come to show us the way, although he did show us a way of life. He did give us the visual picture of, of what a life lived for the glory of God looks like, but he also came to be the way, the one, the one to satisfy 
the righteous requirement, the one to fulfill all that we needed. Let's think of other religions just for a moment, just in, in, in broad strokes here. If you look at any other religion that has a deity, that deity, that, that, that God did not come down to make a way. He spoke through prophets. And what did that God speak? He demanded, that God demanded that you attain, you attain your redemption through work. Making sure your scales measure rightly. Making sure you've done enough. In some way, shape, or form, that's what they all teach. And then think about the religion of no religion. That is a religion. It takes faith. Where one gets to define for themselves all that is right and wrong. If you look at these two, these two belief structures, these will all... They, they will always lead to insecurity, fear, or arrogance, or some mix thereof. Insecurity and fear, they're due to never knowing if you have done enough. Arrogance, because you will always view your way of life as superior to someone else's when you get to decide right from wrong. When you get to decide if you've done enough. But when we see that God, our sovereign, holy God, creator, sent Jesus to not only show us a way, but to be the way, we will be humbled, not arrogant, because he achieved the work. We can be bold and courageous because he satisfies the righteous requirement of our holy creator God. What a glorious truth, the incarnated Jesus Christ our Lord. He entered into our need. He overcame our need. He satisfied our righteous requirement that God had laid out so that we could be restored. There is no other way. Because of the incarnation of Jesus, we can know that no one has been too good to not need a Savior, and that no one has been so bad that they cannot be saved. Jesus is the hope of the world, and salvation is here. So today, we light the Christ candle as we read with one another the, the clearest passage showing the incarnation as the work of Jesus. We're going to read 1 John 1, 1 through 4. So we light the Christ candle. Salvation is here. And let's read this together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Talk about the extremity of the before and after, and we see the completion of our joy. Joy is, is, is not based on circumstance. It is unchanging because it comes from a God who is unchanging. And so we see that today, if you want to know joy, a joy that is 
that, that, that sustains, that perseveres, because you have a hope that is not grounded in this world. You have a hope that is not grounded in your ability or what you can attain or achieve. It is in Jesus. This is why today matters. To close, I want us to see our two calls to action in this passage. So first, there's a call to obedience for each of us in the midst of God's work achieved in Christ. Notice that Mary and Joseph were obedient to follow the laws of the day and that they followed in circumcising Jesus on the eighth day and then going to the temple on the 40th day, which is what we're reading about today, for Mary's purification offering and the consecrating of Jesus is the firstborn male. Now, I know that's a bunch of context we didn't talk about, but that's what's happening there, that they're acting in obedience. Notice that Simeon followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit spoke then is the same as he does today in that still small voice and he leads us and he makes the way known and apparently illuminates the truth of God it is because of their obedience that they were where they were to experience the glorious blessing of God so we see first just a call to simple and bold obedience so we we need to be a people of and in the word of God He gave it to reveal his character and to reveal his will for our lives, to show us how to live out as the set-apart ones. So we, we must be a people of the word and in the word of God. We must be a people of prayer and that dependency, saying, God, I need you. Make, make my will conform to yours as we pray. And then, again, a people knowing that he has given the Holy Spirit, the same power that we're reading through here that flows all the way through Jesus' life to his death and resurrection, the same power that achieved all these things is the same power that is in us because God has given himself and the Holy Spirit to each of us. So we must listen, allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of illuminating God's truth and of aligning our wills with God's and aiming our lives towards Godward things. And then we have to listen all along the way. So maybe you've heard this a few times, maybe not, but we live in this already not yet tension. The promised Messiah has come, but he will come again. The first time he came, he came taking on, taking on our weakness as a baby in human flesh, denying his power so that he could come in as a worthy savior, as one who can empathize, as one who has gone through all that we've gone through. The second time he comes, he comes in strength and victory to restore all things once and for all. We are to live in this world in a way that proclaims the reality that God is the holy and sovereign ruler of all creation and that all of creation is yearning to be restored unto him in Christ. With this, with this assurance of hope today, hope is not uncertain. When we say we use hope the wrong way all the time, we say, man, I hope that happens. Like when we're talking about like just going to a baseball game. And I hope we get to go to a baseball game. There is uncertainty. When Scripture speaks of our hope in Christ, it is a hope of, with absolute certainty because it is sealed by him. And so we want to live in such a way that, that shows that we have this hope, this assurance of present promise revealed and made known and experienced, but then also that we have a future hope a hope of eternity, a hope of, of a purpose that does not end, where we get to worship and glorify God with our lives today and forever, and we can call others into that as well.
but there will be opposition to this way of life. Luke 2, 33-35 says this, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, I don't know if you noticed, we said he spoke a blessing to God and a blessing to Mary and Joseph. The blessing to God seems much better. This, this doesn't sound like a blessing. I mean, did you hear what it said? This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for the sign that is opposed. The sword will pierce, will pierce through your own soul as well so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What is this difficulty that he's speaking of here? He's speaking of, of the fact that, again, this is not the, this is Jesus coming as the Messiah is the one that calls us to come and die. The one that calls us to surrender and lay down our lives. The one that says that it is not by your works, but by mine. And it's amazing. That should be a great comfort, but yet we want control. The world is no different then. It, will be, it is a message that is opposed for Mary very personally. Mary and Joseph, they would watch their son die on a cross after great torture. So, so you would say, and you would feel this, but why is this a blessing? Why is it a blessing? Because of the before and after. Because of this, because of this, enduring this, as Scripture says, it says, I do not consider this present suffering worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. It is that same sense here that through this hardship, through the opposition of the truth of God that we must persevere through, through the pains and the struggles that come because of obedience, because of the proclamation for the good of all creation, when it even opposes its own goodness, we see that it is through this that God's redeeming work for all people is attained, is accomplished. The payoff is great. Short-term pain, long-term gain. So this is a blessing to Mary and Joseph because this is the very work that will complete God's glorious purpose of restoring all of humanity. Salvation has come. We are redeemed in Jesus we are victorious in him.